We will read again from the Revelation chapter 9, chapter 7 rather, verses 9 and 10. After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. And I cried with a loud voice, saying, or rather, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. We have here in this chapter a description of a place we shall live one of these days. We've seen a lot of places around the world Debbie and I have, and she's heard me a variety of times in different places um, give my assessment. One trip uh, that comes to mind is our first trip to Newfoundland. Actually, it was uh, the first trip was in the winter time, and we drove uh, to Roddington through a, a blizzard for four or five hours. But in the middle of that blizzard, we passed. Well, a number of sites that we won't soon forget. One was what I can only describe as frozen waves in the bays of the ocean. We, it was just stunning and spectacular. You picture waves that, that break on the Oregon coast, and that's what they do. They break. But in Newfoundland, in the wintertime, they freeze just as they are attempting to break. So it's a spectacular sight. We went through one area where there were bald eagles flying in the middle of this uh, blizzard. It was uh, amazing. We returned again in the spring another time, and that time we saw the countryside not whitened with snow, but rather just beautiful green. We saw the moose both trips, actually. We saw bear uh, alongside the highway, and uh, just the um, amazing uh, landscape. And, and Debbie heard me say what I've said about many other places. I could live here. Well, when I think about heaven, I can live there. You can live there. And that's uh, something that uh, should uh, drive us as we uh, go through uh, this life. Admittedly, when we prepare here for a journey and then take the journey, it can be presented with challenges. Thinking of one trip we went to, uh, well, we were going to southern Africa through Johannesburg. So we would see a few countries on that trip. But as we boarded the plane at PDX, we sat. Our connection time, which the airlines, of course, uh, arrange with the idea that you're going to make it, was uh, maybe a couple of hours, two hours about but we sat on the tarmac in Portland for two hours. And I told Debbie, don't worry. Uh, they'll have the plane wait for us there in, in Europe. We paid for these tickets, and they don't want to displease the customers. So uh, we were anxious, but after that long flight, we got to the connecting airport and scurried to uh, the, the plane. Debbie was wondering, you think it's still there? You think they waited? And as we got to the boarding area, the doors of the plane were still open. We were so happy. We went to the gate and tried to get on, and they, they said we, we could not get on. 
They, they couldn't board us with, without our luggage. Well, I won't go into all those details, but it ended up a long, long layover there, and they rerouted us after several hours through Kenya. And I, we wrote home and uh, told our daughter uh, what was going on, and she replied, I heard the weather is beautiful this time of year in Kenya. Very sympathetic, as you see. Well, we saw the airport, but we did not see Kenya. But we, we finally got to our destination. And that's a beautiful country as well as our, all the countries uh, we have visited. But of course, like heaven, the beauty is not necessarily altogether in the landscape. It's in the presence of God and in the people who live there. And that's what heaven uh, is about. And this account, uh, really in the, in the book of the Revelation, we read that John, who was banished on the Isle of Patmos, was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And the book begins with these words, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which, which must shortly come to pass. And then in the, verse 19 of that first chapter, he was told to write to the seven churches the things which thou hast seen and the things which are and the things that shall be hereafter. Well, if we're talking about John, we can read the Gospel of St. John if we want to know about the things that were or the things which are during his time. We can read his uh, also his uh, epistles, which which gave uh, an account to uh, the churches as to how they should conduct themselves in the present time. But this revelation, we don't really even want to call it a vision because it was as if he was transported. So it was really the revelation of, uh, I guess we could say, of our destination. We have a hope, and John had a hope of those things which should be hereafter. We know about the past. We can all harken back to our past and see what God has done. He saved us and brought us together to sit together in heavenly places like this. Uh, we know about the present, uh, what uh, we encounter today and, and uh, what we uh, go through and all of that. But we want to give consideration to the things which shall be hereafter. We want to look to hereafter. This is temporary. Hereafter is permanent, and that is what well, the, the interest we have in mind today is to uh, consider those things. In chapter 4, we see where, after the message to the seven churches, we, we have chapter 4 where John said, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and he heard a voice. And the voice said, uh, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. We're at a great uh, advantage compared to those who did not have all of John's writings because we have what, he, what was revealed to him and what, as a result, we are better aware of than the saints of old were. So in the same chapter, chapter 4, second verse, And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, Here's what he saw, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like jasper and sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight. 
like unto an emerald. He, he uses best earthly language to describe a heavenly scene. And that is the best we can do. He saw the, the glory of God, and he saw it in the form of bright, brilliant, shining color, such as, I dare say, we have never seen or, or been aware of. It's everything we could imagine and more. And before it, this throne was a sea of crystal. Now you, you stand at the ocean side here in our part of the country, the Pacific Ocean, and you look out uh, over the ocean, and it's as if it is endless in a sense, and yet you can see where it meets the horizon out there in the distance, depending upon uh, what kind of a, a day it is. So to us, it appears to be endless. But this sea of crystal before the throne of God is endless. And we, we see that he, he describes the, the glory of God with attending angels and the heavenly beings and the elders who said in four, chapter 4, verse 11, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. That's a glimpse into our destination. That's, that's where we're headed. That's where we will reside. And that's what we want to keep in mind as we journey through this life. Chapter 5, we see what he describes. I saw on the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the back side sealed with seven seals. And then there was a strong angel who asked the question, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And one of the elders said unto me, Weep not after he wept, because there was no one worthy. I'm paraphrasing some of this. Uh, but weep not, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seals thereof, the seven seals thereof. So here he describes Jesus as the lion. But then he goes on in the same fifth chapter, verse 6, in the midst of the throne and of the, uh, of the, the heavenly beings, I'll say, in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain. So was he a lion, or is he a lion, or is he a lamb? Well, he's a lion in the sense that he conquers and he's mighty. But he's a lamb in the sense that he yielded his life, sacrificed, and shed his blood for you and for me. And that lamb came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat on the throne. And then we read how they all, the heavenly host all fell before the lamb in worship, each with a harp as vials of prayers are released, and they sang a new song. And we have some of that in that fifth chapter, but one aspect of it was those who sang it, they, they sang that we've been redeemed. He's redeemed us to God through his blood of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. Every barrier has been broken through the blood of Jesus. And we all assemble as a great host in heaven. In that chapter 5, we read the number, which perhaps refers to the heavenly host, 
Uh, some redeemed, it's, it's unclear, but 10,000 times 10,000, that would be 300 million, and thousands of thousands. So picture that, that uh, crystal uh, sea that, that is endless. How, how many could you fit? Well, you could fit every human being that has ever lived and every heavenly being that has ever existed. The question was asked during Jesus' time, are there a few that be saved? Well, estimates are that the number of human beings who have lived from the beginning of time until now, it varies. Uh, typically, the minimum is 50 billion, which seems about low, a bit low. But uh, at most, it's estimated 150 billion. There, there's not enough over there. But we thank God for those who are over there. Uh, there are millions. Uh, and as, as John looked out over that uh, host, I wonder, and remember, he's looking at that which will be hereafter. I wonder if he could look out over those faces, and we'll see in a moment as the question has asked, who are these? And, and perhaps he was trying to, to recognize, he was used to, to hanging with his, his peers. So his, his world was relatively small, actually. He knows, knew so many people, but he did not know millions and millions of people. So he must have looked out over those faces. Maybe he saw you there. But he didn't recognize you. Maybe he looked for himself there. It's hereafter. But um, anyway, that gives you an idea that there were, there were many there. And then Revelation 6, we have the opening of, of seals with the question asked in that sixth chapter, uh, who shall be able to stand? And chapter 7 answers that question by those who have overcome, uh, those who have uh, been victorious, uh, through life. So in chapter uh, 7, our text, uh, we see the worship of God in heaven. We ought to feel right at home when we get there. This is rehearsal for there. When we sit in these meetings over the years, I've often thought, I, as, as I said, I, I wonder and, and listen to the music if this is just a bit of heaven. It feels like heaven. It's not. So I'm not uh, fooling myself. But in heaven, maybe you're going to be able to call the, your favorite song and favorite group from what you heard here when you lived on earth. When the presence of the Lord uh, moves through, uh, through a service, and he does every, every time we gather, whether we sense him or not, why these are heavenly places described in the Bible that way. Anyway, a great multitude. Again, we read as we did in chapter 5, Verse seven, nine, verse nine of chapter seven, of all nations, kindreds, people, and tongues. So there will be millions. We don't have a corner on it. Over the expanse of time and the generations, there have been those one here and one there, perhaps dozens here and dozens there, who have come to the foot of the cross and had the application of the blood of Jesus over their hearts and lives. They've been redeemed, sins forgiven, and lived victoriously subsequent to having been saved. They, We are among that number that John saw on that day. Delegates from every nation, every culture, 
every uh, religious group, I dare say, and every Christian denomination. That's all wiped away as far as the title is, and it boils down to having been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And there's no other way to get there. We see that here. We must claim the atonement. And that's hard for some people to come to a point in life where they admit uh, it was for all of us, where we admitted we're sinners. We need Jesus. Uh, we, we, only he can satisfy the soul, as Brother um, Josh beautifully sang, uh, but only he can also wash away our sins. As, as uh, John looked uh, on this site, he saw these multitudes, and we, we see those who have been victorious, some, some martyred, all persecuted and, or tested, but all came through victoriously. And by the grace of God, we want to be among those who face daunting circumstances with courage and with Christian grace, believing that God will provide enough strength uh, to carry us through no matter what comes our way. He's proven that he can do it by virtue of the millions that John saw there as he looked into the hereafter. And if he did it for millions, he can certainly do it for you and for me. We read later in the Revelation, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Everyone uncompromising in their stand for God. And God honors that uh, along the way. We see they were clothed with white robes. And there the physical attire is, is symbolic of the spiritual condition. Purity, holiness, having uh, consecrated a life to be dedicated, set apart uh, to God and made uh, pure within. And what exists within will manifest itself Without, So by the, the grace of God, when we're tested, uh, we want to be a, among those that show the, the Christian graces that the Lord shed his blood to provide for each of us. We see also palms in their hand. When we think of that, we think of Palm Sunday. The jubilance that existed that day as the disciples followed Jesus uh, into Jerusalem thinking in their mind that he was going to establish his kingdom right then. Oh, they celebrated. It was wonderful. Well, it wasn't to be. That wasn't God's plan. Uh, not yet. He needed to provide for the uh, atoning of, of our sins and, and did so. But on you know, this day, palms in their hands, a day uh, or a time, no day there, no 24 hours there. It's endless. A celebration. Every day is an open house. Every day is your birthday. Every day is Christmas. Oh, it's exhausting, isn't it? It'll take glorified bodies, but it'll be, it'll be worth it all as we celebrate what Jesus did through the gift of God giving his own son. Verse 10, they cried with a loud voice. What did they cry? Salvation to our God. It's, it's a celebration that God delivered from sin. We don't have to languish in sin and defeat as we go through this life. Those who uh, reach that goal will, will be giving God glory for salvation. We, we were rescued. 
verses 11 and 12 of the same uh, chapter 7, which Brother uh, Dave read earlier. We see that the host falls before the throne on their faces and, and worships God. Of course, there's, there's worship and there's celebration. Uh, here we have the heavenly host, remember, the angels of heaven as well. Well, here on earth, when a sinner repents, the angels of heaven rejoice, as do we all. Well, if, the, if heaven rejoices when someone prays through here, think of the rejoicing that takes place when we show up there. No wonder there's a celebration. We thank uh, the Lord uh, again that we can anticipate what is to come hereafter. We see in the verse 12 the elements of, of uh, praise. Seven, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto God forever and ever. Verse 13 asks two questions. Whence are these which are arrayed in white robes? And whence came they? Who are they? And where do they come from? John didn't want to answer, said, Sir, thou knowest. And we have the answer. These are they which came out of great tribulation, persecutions of all kinds, testings of all kind, kinds. Nobody skates through life to get there. So these are they which came out of great tribula tribulation. Paul wrote to those uh, in Asia and exhorted them to continue in the faith and said that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. In America, we have it relatively easy compared to what we read even amongst our churches worldwide. We'll be tested. We dare not faint. No, we, we, we're going to be among the, the victorious. So two questions, two answers. One, uh, who are they? Well, they are those who came out of great tribulation. And two, they've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. It's a paradox to think anything could be made white through blood. But the blood of Jesus is unlike any other in that it is the means by which we obtain forgiveness and have our sins washed away. So we are made white through the blood of Jesus. It's as if we never sinned. We are rendered innocent, though we were guilty. The, the greatest injustice that has ever occurred was the fact that Jesus Christ gave his life for your sins and for mine. No wonder we'll spend eternity giving thanks to him. He's provided pardon and purity as well. Verse 15, Therefore, we see they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple, and he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. We've been in, in services over the years, if you've been around long enough, where the Spirit of God has swept through the, the sanctuary of the Lord, where the whole audience was aware. And that has occurred from time to time. We thank God for those memories. But here, or rather in the hereafter, the presence of God will be ceaseless. He'll be 
We'll be in Him. He'll be in us. Verses 16 and 17, the closing verses of this chapter. We see again, they shall hunger no more, neither thirst, neither the sun light upon them, nor any heat. All things are new, we read in other places, in Isaiah and later in the Revelation. Old things are unknown, unfamiliar. So it's all new. It's, it's something that we anticipate. Our bodies will be brand new. Immortal. They won't wear out. You'll never be tired. Even emotionally, you'll never be stressed or worried. We, we can hardly relate to what shall be hereafter. But we can live there. I like the idea that I can live there. And so can you. Jesus said, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. I'm happy about that. I don't know about you. That, that, that's my focus. I want to look out at that uh, crystal sea uh, that is expansive and more than expansive. It's endless. And if I could, if I could see the faces, I want to see all of your faces. I, I hope and expect to see my face. Uh, the idea about heaven is you'll, you'll finally like the way you look, too. You'll be glorious. I think you're a bit glorious right now. But you, you will be... Why you'll be impeccable. You'll be all together perfect. You'll be full of stamina. You'll, um, your headache won't ache. Your replacement knee will have been replaced. It's just all things new. And that is what shall be hereafter. We can live there. It simply takes the blood of Jesus having been applied to our hearts and passing the tests and the challenges we encounter in this life with courage, with strength from heaven. We can pass the test. We can live there. We can go there. And that is what we want our focus to be upon as we pass through this life. May we all be challenged to keep our eyes focused on the hereafter as we keep our ears open for the sound of the trumpet our eyes fixed, in a sense, on the eastern sky and anticipate the coming of Jesus.